0: Hi and welcome to this week's mini-sode episode. If you're new here, each week we have a short episode where we cover the deaths of Indigenous people or people of colour, either by the hands of police or in police custody, as well as general stories of police brutality. These episodes are a lot shorter than the normal ones. They're not aimed at being funny or entertaining. We just present the facts of the story in a very straightforward way, and we're aiming to sort of, I guess, raise awareness of a, a lot of cases and obviously a very large issue that is currently in the media a lot, but is obviously an ongoing everyday thing for a lot of people in our world. Um, so this week, <clears throat> I'm going to be talking about a story that has been covered a lot in the news um, recently, but I find a lot of people don't actually know the facts of the story. Um, so, I'm going to be talking about Breonna Taylor. So, Breonna Taylor was a 26 year old African American emergency medical technician who, on March 13th, 2020, was shot by Louisville Metro, Metro Police in her home. On March 12th, Detective Joshua Jaynes files a request for a no knock warrant search for Breonna's house after investigating the activities of. Jamarcus Glover, who was a known drug trafficker and Taylor's ex-boyfriend. He was allegedly using her address to mail drugs through the post office. The warrant is requested on the grounds of, and this is a direct quote, due to the nature of how these drug traffickers operate, these drug traffickers have a history of attempting to destroy evidence, have cameras on the location that compromise detectives once an approach to the dwelling is made, and have a history of fleeing from law enforcement. Minutes after midnight when Breonna and her boyfriend Kenneth Walker are asleep inside their apartment on Springfield Drive, there are knocks on the front door. Plainclothes officers Miles Cosgrove, Brett Hankinson and Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly use a battering ram to force open the door, at which point police claim that they are met with a gunshot that strikes Mattingly in the thigh. The three officers return fire into the dark, blindly, with more than 25 bullets, some of which enter other apartments in the building, including one with a five-year-old child inside. Breonna's boyfriend, who was a licensed gun owner, calls 911 thinking that they are the victim of a home invasion. In the 911 call, he can be heard saying to the dispatcher, ''Somebody kicked in the door, shot my girlfriend.'' Breonna has been struck fatally by at least eight bullets. Walker surrenders and is taken into custody of charges of attempted murder of a police officer. The three officers are placed on administrative reassignment until the internal unit at Louisville Metro completes their investigation. No drugs are ever found inside Taylor's apartment. On March 26, Breonna's boyfriend Walker is released from jail into home confinement. Louisville Police Union President Ryan Nichols says the judge's decision is a slap in the face to everyone wearing a badge and he is endangering the public. May 22nd, Attorney Tom Wine announces charges against Walker have been dismissed by the FBI. On June 11th, Louisville, Kentucky Metro Council unanimously passes Briona's Law, which outlaws no-knock warrants and requires body cameras to be turned on after every search. As of June 19th, none of the officers involved have been charged or experienced any penalty or punishment. Louisville Mayor has announced that Officer Brett Hankinson is expected to be fired, but as of today, this hasn't been actioned.
1: So I'll be talking about um, David Dungay Jr., who um, was a 26-year-old Dungati man who died on the 20, uh, 29th of December in 2015 in Sydney's Long Bay Prison Hospital. Um, and this, is, um, inf- this information comes directly from justiceaction.org.au, so um please have feel free to access the website to read more into it so david calls out 12 times uh during an uh this the now very well known and notorious video of several officers forcibly holding him down he calls out 12 times saying that he can't breathe as six guards hold him face down while nursing staff and four other prison guards look on. David was diagnosed with diabetes and asthma when a, as a young child and developed mental health challenges as a young adult. It's unclear whether mental health issues such as mood swings were ex- were um, ex- exacerbated in by his diabetes, as high blood sugar levels can induce acute behavioural sy- symptoms. These symptoms range from mood swings, including anxiety, distress, and anger, to acute neurological symptoms such as semi-consciousness and unconsciousness. Long Bay Prison Hospital records show David was not sent to urgent Prince of Wales Hospital Specialist Care for degenerative diabetes, relating, related kidney, feet, and retinal neuropathy, and as had been rec- recommended by his medical supervisor. Instead of getting the urgent treatment required for his diabetes, David died in custody after being overcome and held down by prison guards because he refused to stop eating a rice cracker. Um, so this report was from July 2018. There was an inquest that went for 2 weeks and was only partially uh, there was only a partial investigation of the circumstances leading to David Dungay's death in custody. The inquest was unable to be completed and was deferred until 2019 to resume 4th of March at the new Lidcombe Coroner's Court. And as of 2019, the coroner's report labeled David's manner of death as dying whilst being restrained in the prone position by corrective services new south wales officers david's long standing poorly controlled type 1 diabetes hypercalcemia prescription of antipsychotic medication with a pros- uh, prospensity to prolong the qt interval elevated body mass index likely hypoxemia caused by prone restraint um and extreme stress and agitation as a result of the use of force and restraint were all con- uh, contributory factors to David's death um so in the cctv footage taken and used as evidence in david's case um at the in part of the evidence at the inquest showed that that staff were aware that David was spitting blood as he was dragged, transferred to the second cell while handcuffed and while the sedative mitazolam was injected into his buttock. It is not clear what caused the blood to come out of David's mouth but his mother Latona Dungay noted that when viewing his body after death David's face was caved in and covered with bruises. Latona said that as well, his nose was broken there was blood coming from his eyes and the skin on his nose had a split across it. The CCTV footage captured Dungay being moved to cell 77 and restrained for seven and a half minutes face down in the prone position, including the period when he was injected with the quick acting sedative. The nurse who administered the injection failed to check for critical life threatening symptoms before and after this. And despite David's cries, later staff forgot to remove the cap from a resuscitation equipment, which can be seen on the CCTV footage coming out of David's mouth. Officers positioned themselves on top of him, pulling down on his green uh, prison uniform pants and calling for the nurse who injected 10 milligrams of the sedative into his buttocks. Then they retreated to the doorway. Moments later, Dungay stops breathing. Staff from the mental health unit and paramedics tried to resuscitate Dungay for almost an hour, but his death was declared at 3.42pm. An expert medical witness said that David Dungare Jr. had little chance of survival once his heart had arrested, but whatever, quote, whatever chance he had was lost. By the inept attempts at resuscitation. The prone restraint technique is known to be risky, however, was employed by guards, at least six holding him down, and for a duration that exceeded the time for medication delivery. These action by guards were considered by... These actions by guards were considered by an emergency medical expert witness to have contributed to his death. David told the guards 12 times that he couldn't breathe before eventually losing conscious, consciousness and dying. David's death is the subject of an investigative Guardian Australian podcast, Breathless. Damning footage shows what actually happened before, during and after David Dungay died in December 15.
0: Yeah, so as Thomas said, um, there is a podcast that we actually shared uh, the week prior to this episode coming out. Um, it's done by The Guardian Australia. It goes into a lot more detail about what happened. Obviously, these episodes are only very short, so there's a lot more to each case. And in each of these episodes, we encourage you afterwards to do your own research. We are simply looking to present sort of the bare facts about, these cases to just basically raise awareness because we find maybe not so much in Briona's case because it is very widely covered in the news, but a lot of time people have never even heard of these cases. Mm. Um, So that's the episode. As we said, they're short and sweet. As usual, there will be links in the show notes for um, some charities that they're mainly Australian-based charities because we are obviously an Australian podcast, so they help Indigenous people. Um, A few of the ones we share are specifically aimed at helping Indigenous Australians with their um, legal fees for these sorts of cases where the family obviously wants to seek justice against the people that um, committed these crimes.
1: And uh, we implore you to, if you would like to read more into... Um, what we talked about in these episodes, or um, anything surrounding them, we have, like Laura said, we we are showing or showing showcasing other podcasts and other shows, and we have the sources that we research to actually find out the details about these stories that we implore you to read for yourself. And um, I think that's it.
0: Yeah, thank you for tuning in, and I hope you all have a good rest of your week. Goodbye. Bye.